What's up, Hope Community Church? It is such an honor to be with you today. And man, Pastor Chris and Beth, what an incredible uh, honor it is to be able to be with you in this series. That, that'll leave a mark, you know, talking about legacy. That's huge for us. And man, I'm so thankful for your leadership. I'm so, so thankful for your church and all that you guys are doing. And just that we can be a friend and a partner with you today in this series. You know, legacy, leaving a legacy for not only your kids, but for your kids' kids and so on, that is a big deal, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's just start off with a moment of prayer. Let me pray for us. God, I pray right now for every person that is here, every person that's watching this online, every person that is watching this on replay. I pray, God, you would help each one of us to connect with your heart, to connect with your spirit and your idea that we would each give our life to pour into the next generation so that every generation would get bigger and better and stronger. God, help us. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up, I, I grew up uh, with my dad being my pastor. So I didn't just have a pastor at church. I had a pastor in the home every single day. In fact, from the moment I was five years old and went to kindergarten all the way through, you know, until I got a car like my, what, sophomore year in high school, my dad took me and my brothers to school every day. And every day when we went, you know what we did? We memorized scriptures. You know, when every other kid got to sleep, every other kid got to study for the test, we got to memorize scriptures. And the way it would be is every week, my dad had already memorized a verse and he wanted to teach it to us. And so on Monday, he would start off with, okay, repeat after me. And we would do that by Friday. It was time for each one of us to say it. So my dad would say, uh, which one of you want to go first? And I'd say, okay, dad, I'll go first. And he says, okay, give it to us. And I'd say, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to ever-increasing glory. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. And yes, those are the type of verses. We didn't get no Jesus wept, you know, in easy verses. They were Half of that stuff, I don't even know if I knew what that was when I was eight years old, you know. But man, I got it in my heart today. What a spiritual inheritance. And when we would pull up to the, the elementary school growing up, and right when I would be getting out of the car, he'd go, what's our life verse? What's our, our family verse? And I'd say, uh, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable. And I said, O oh Lord, my strength, my redeemer, Psalm 1914, love you, dad, see you later. As if, love you, dad, see you later was part of the verse, you know. What, what a spiritual inheritance. I, I look back, so grateful for it. How many of you would like that if your dad or your mom would have taught you scriptures? Yeah. But it wasn't fun at the time. You know, at the time I was resistant. At the time I was going, come on, why can't we just be normal kids, you know? But I'm thankful for it now. And you know, there's a lot of people who don't have that. I'm not just talking about a mom and dad teach them scriptures or a spiritual inheritance. I'm talking about there's a lot of people growing up that don't even have a dad. Right now, 21 million people in America, kids, are growing up without a dad in the home. And I think a lot of the, what we see happening in our society today can be traced back to, that, that's a hard deal. That, that's tough, growing up without a dad. In fact, this is the most fatherless generation in the history of our nation, except for maybe the time of the Civil War. Remember during the Civil War, 
uh, the north and the south were fighting against each other. So everybody who died were part of our nation. And so 780,000 men, Americans, died in that war. And, and that means that there were huge amount of kids growing up without a dad. The only difference is, you know, nowadays, dads aren't there mostly not because they're dead, but because they're just out there. The good news today is this, guys, that the prophet Malachi saw this day coming. Malachi wrote about it in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. In fact, it's the very last two verses of not only Malachi's book, but of the whole Old Testament. I want to read it to you, and I think it's huge, because I think he's talking about the day we live in right now. It's very encouraging. Look at it. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, or the spirit of Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day is the day of him returning. It's a great day for those of us who know him, a dreadful day for those who don't, right? And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to children, to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So there's a curse that exists when there isn't a connection between fathers and their children and children with their fathers. And so today, I, I think this is the day that Malachi was seeing, a day where fathers and sons and daughters aren't connected. Why is it so important for fathers and sons and daughters to be connected? Because it's in that relationship, in that connection, us, an inheritance can be given. In this case, we're talking about a spiritual inheritance can be passed down. Now, when I'm talking about an inheritance, most of us understand that term and the terminology of an inheritance when it comes to like money or business. Like if a guy owns a business and he's leaving it as an inheritance to his son or daughter, then what is he doing? He's saying, okay, I'm done, I'm retiring, or I passed away, so it's your business. And what are those kids doing? Their dad may have started that business on a loan. They, they may have had to mortgage their house, you know, in order to get the loan. But now these kids are receiving the business and it's thriving. It's doing well. They don't have to go to the bank to get a loan. They got money in the bank. They, they, they're not thinking about starting a business. They're thinking about expanding a business. They're not starting from scratch. They're starting from a spiritual, or in that case, they're a financial inheritance. I wonder what it would look like if every generation of the church and every generation in your family started with a spiritual inheritance, not from scratch. Yeah, I, I, I really started thinking about this back in my 20s because one night I was asleep. I was literally had a dream while I was asleep. And in the dream, I was preaching. And I was preaching to this huge outdoor crusade on an elevated platform like this. There was a wooden podium in front of me where people couldn't see me from the waist down. They could only see me like here. And as I was preaching, God was moving. And I looked down in the dream and behind that podium where they couldn't see it, there was a cutout square hole. And my dad was standing in that hole and I was standing on his shoulders and his hands were around my ankles. His eyes were shut, tears coming down. He was praying for me. And God spoke to me and said, son, I want you to realize to everybody else, it looks like you're standing on a platform you built for yourself. But in reality, you're standing on the shoulders of your father. When I woke up, I said, God, I, I know that I owe a lot to my dad, and I'm going to call him later and say, thank you, but why were you showing me that? And the Lord told me, because, son, I want you to know your life, your ministry, your calling, your purpose is not going to be defined by the platforms you stand on, but by those who stand on your shoulders. 
I just want to encourage you today, everybody, that sometimes we can get distracted and think our life is all about what we're doing right now. All of our business, all of our finances, all of our successes right now. But perhaps I, I, I could just challenge you or encourage you to think of this. Maybe the definition of greatness in your life isn't about you just being successful, but it's about helping those who would be successors be successful. That those who are your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, that every generation of your family bigger, better, and stronger. This is the main point today that I'm wanting to just bring to you that would you consider giving your life as a spiritual inheritance to your kids, to your grandkids, so that every generation of your family could get bigger and better and stronger, that your ceiling would be their floor, that they would be up on your shoulders and going to a whole other level, and that their vision would be able to, would be to do the same thing for their kids. Um, I think this is huge, and I think this is what Malachi is talking about. Go back to the verse when he says, I, I'm sending you the spirit of Elijah. Now, most Pentecostal preachers probably wish this wasn't Elijah. They probably wish it was like Elisha. Why? Because Elisha is the one who had the double portion. So it would make sense like, man, to preach like, man, when the spirit of Elisha comes, that's what's going to happen, that double portion anointing. You know, it might preach a little bit better, but that's not what's being said. It's when this spirit of Elijah comes. What's the spirit of Elijah? It's the spirit of a father, of a mother. Let me tell you why I think this. Let's look at the story of Elijah. Elijah comes on the scene as the prophet. He calls the fire down out of heaven. If you don't know the story, you can go back and read. It's powerful. Uh, going against the prophets of Baal to prove that God, his God, Israel's God, is the real God. And then he gets into a time where he's tired and he's run away and, and he's, he's under a tree and he's praying, saying, God, speak to me, you know, about your vision, what you want. And God tells him, I've called somebody to be a spiritual son to you, and I want you to go to his house. His name's Elisha. They're not related, but I want you to go to his house and tell him that I've called him to be the prophet that you're going to raise up to, to be the prophet for Israel after you. So he goes to Elisha's house, and he's plowing behind these big oxen, and he's got a huge field, and he's got great wealth in his family. But as he's going by, he puts the mantle, his cloak, on the shoulders of Elisha. And somehow Elisha knows what that means, that he's calling him to be his disciple or to be his successor. And so it says right then, he breaks up the plows, he kills and sacrifices the oxen on the, the wood as, a, as an offering to God. Basically what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to give up this earthly inheritance to receive that spiritual inheritance. And I'm going with what God's called me to do and going with you, I'm all in. Well, after they had gone several years where Elisha was there praying with him every day, serving him every day, there with the miracles every day, there came a day that both Elijah and Elisha knew that Elijah was going to be taken up into heaven, that God was, it was his last day. And so there's this interaction that's going on in 2 Kings chapter 2. And it says that Elijah turns to Elisha and says, hey, I'm going to be taken up today. What do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of the anointing and the, 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 the spirit of God that's on your life. And Elijah says, hey, if you're with me till the end, you're going to get it. 
All of a sudden, a chariot of fire came down and took up Elijah into the air. And when that happened, it says, Elisha saw this in verse 12. Look at this. I'll, I'll read it over here. It says, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he asked when he struck the water. It divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Look at this. The company of the prophets, all of the other guys who traveled and, and were studying to be prophets in the school of ministry from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Notice here it's saying the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Now we know that's the spirit of God, but it's the spirit of God that's in Elijah has now been passed down to Elisha as a spiritual inheritance. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. What a huge uh, moment that the, the mantle fell, he put it on, he went out, hit the ground, it parted. I mean, dude, we know from the scripture that Elisha did get the double portion. In fact, he did exactly two times the amount of miracles that Elijah did. This is amazing that Elijah was already an incredible spiritual father for Israel. And when Elisha's crying out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, what he's saying is, Elijah, you've taken care of Israel this whole time. The only way we win our battles is you tell us what to do and how to do it because God tells you. And he's saying, what are we going to do with your gone? And then the mantle falls and Elisha picks up that mantle and he does the same thing, but he does it two times better because he's learned and he, from Elijah and he's received from Elijah this double portion. So in his lifetime, he serves Israel well. But I want you to just think about this with me for a moment. How awesome is it going to be when Elisha's time is up and he's going to die or he's going to be taken up to the Lord and he leaves that mantle for the person he's raised up? Come on, play it out in your mind. If he got a double portion and the next guy asks for a double portion and Elisha gives it to him, that's going to be a quadruple portion. Come on now. What about that next generation? How awesome would it be if it was eight times bigger, then 16 times bigger, 32 times bigger? How many of you are understanding what I'm saying is I believe this is the vision that God has given to us, that every generation of the people of God and every generation of the church should be getting bigger and better and stronger because they're standing on the shoulders of the generation that was before them and their ceiling of our generation becomes their floor. They're getting bigger, better, and stronger because every generation is getting a double portion because the fathers and mothers are connected to the sons and daughters and the spiritual inheritance can be given. Wow, this is the vision. But it isn't what happened. It isn't what happened in the case of Elisha. In fact, let me read about his last day in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. It says, now Elisha, I'll go over here again to the screen. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Exactly the same thing that he had said to Elijah. Get a bow and some arrows, he said, he did, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory and the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. Aram was 
uh, the army that was coming against them right then, right when Elisha was dying. They were about to go to war against Aram. He says, he's going to give you victory. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry. This is, a, this is important here. The man of God was angry with him, the king, and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat him only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Wow. <laughs> that ends so strange, doesn't it? Here's the story. And then he died. They buried him. Now, why is Elisha mad? It says here because the king only hit the ground three times with the arrow. He should have hit it more. If he would hit it more, it would be symbolic that God would give him victory over Aram completely like this. Let me tell you why Elisha was mad. Because at this moment, he's trying to tie up loose ends, guys. He hasn't lived in such a way that there is a a successor where there is a son in the faith or a daughter in the faith that's ready to receive the double portion. So the king's coming to him and saying, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, you've been helping us in battle. Now what are we going to do? <clears throat> Instead of him being able to say, I'm going to hand down a, a, a quadruple anointing upon the next generation, another prophet I've raised up for Israel, he he's, doesn't have anything to leave except for a few more morsels of advice to tie up some loose ends. Well, let me tell you something. Go get an arrow. Okay, you're going to win this victory. Hit the ground. Man, you should have done it more. You would have won more than just three, you know, and he's getting all frustrated. That's a man who's frustrated because he realizes he lived more for his day than for the day that would come after him. You know, I want you to see this very next verse because it, it just blows my mind. It says, now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, this very next verse, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Wow, I've heard preachers get all excited about this. Let me tell you something. The man of God, Elisha, was so powerful that even when the dead man's body hit his, his bones in the grave, man, he, he came back to life. He was still ministering from the grave. Listen to me. Listen to me. That isn't a great verse in the Bible. That's a sad verse in the Bible. Sad. You know why? Because the double portion was lying dormant in a grave instead of thriving in a son or thriving in a daughter. I'm encouraging every one of you in this room right now and everyone who's watching this just to consider, what are you living for? Are you like Elijah or like Elisha? Are you living, see, Elisha was more concerned about his day, his ministry, his business, his time than he was about Israel and his future. He was a nearsighted father who was more focused about receiving the double portion than giving a double portion to the next generation, to his sons and daughters. I just want to tell you that I believe one of the most key principles of seeing the church of Jesus Christ and a move of God taking place 
uh, in America, for it to thrive and to grow, to get bigger, better, stronger, is not for us to just have a greater anointing and a greater presence of God. But can I tell you what it is? For us to have more fathers and mothers who are going to raise up their kids and give them a spiritual inheritance where they're not starting from scratch, but they've learned how to pray from you. They've learned how to give from you. They've learned how to serve from you. They've learned how to give their whole life and surrender to Jesus because of you. And they're getting on their shoulders and they're, that what you do is just normal. So they're saying, how can I take it to the next level? What if every generation of this church and this people, the people of God, got bigger and better and stronger because that was the focus of your life? The scripture here says that the spirit of Elijah will come and turn the hearts of the fathers of sons and daughters, sons and daughters of fathers. I believe, and I, I think you might uh, know about this, but there's times in the Old Testament that there's prophecies that are called double references, which means they not only speak to something that would happen more immediate, but something that would happen later. It's a double prophetic reference. And so I think this passage in Malachi is one of those passages where it's speaking to today, but it also was fulfilled in the day of Jesus. How do we know? Because the disciples came to Jesus one time and they said, hey, the Bible says that before the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come. You know, Malachi says that. And he says, hey, if you're able to receive it, let me tell you, Elijah's already come. His name's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the prophet Elijah that was to come. And so what does that mean? If Elijah is the type, if, if, if rather John the Baptist is the type of Elijah and he is the forerunner to Jesus, then what does that make Jesus a type of? It makes him a type of Elisha. But he is the Elisha, everybody, that got it right. Yeah. He's the double portion, most powerful anointed son of God in the flesh who got it right. Let me show you what he says in John 14, 12 to his disciples when he's talking to them about when he's going to die, be resurrected and go back to the father. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even what? Greater things than these because I'm going to the father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in what the son this is telling us three things that jesus speaks to that gives us a picture of what fathers and mothers should be thinking and be focused on spiritual fathers and mothers let me tell you the three things first of all they have a goal and their goal is for the next generation their sons and daughters to do even greater things in them Listen, if you're, if you're a good dad, if you're a good mom, then the goal of your life is that your kids would, would get on your shoulders, that your ceiling would be their floor, that they're going to do greater things. Listen, spiritual dads, good dads, good moms aren't in competition with their kids. Their whole goal is that their kids would get bigger and better. That's what Jesus said about us. He's speaking from the heart of a father. The second thing is this, is their heart... Your heart should be to empower your kids to reach their full potential. Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, whatever is according to the will of the Father, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to help you. 
The goal is that they would become bigger and better and stronger. The heart is what can I do to set my kids up to give them opportunity and chances to grow and to develop. And the third thing is this that we see is that he says the glory of the father is in the son. Where is the glory that a father has? It's in his son. It's in his daughter. This is the same thing. Your win is them winning. When my kids rise up, when my three sons grow up, and now Hunter just had little Teddy, my, my middle son just gave us our first grandchild, a, a little boy named Teddy, and what a gift. And you know, that's what Teddy means. Theodore is his name, and that, that means a gift from God. He's a gift to me. One of the biggest gifts Teddy is to me is he's helped me grow in my heart and in my vision you know, everything about my life has been about how can I help Dylan, Hunter, and Dakota, my three sons, grow up to be great men of God. Now that Teddy's here and I'm holding that little guy, he's only four weeks old in my arms, let me tell you something, this poppy has an expanded visionary heart. Because I'm not just dreaming about my sons growing up to be great dads, now I'm dreaming about my grandson growing up to not just be a great grandson, but to be a an incredible dad and a powerful granddad. In fact, there have been moments since he's been born, I've closed my eyes and I've just dreamed of what it might look like 35, 40 years from now when Hunter, my son, is a grandpa himself and Teddy's a dad and he's got a little guy or he's got a little girl and I can just see his Teddy's little son or daughter getting up in Hunter's lap and saying, Grandpa, I love you. I <laughs> just see it. And somehow the conversation gets around to Hunter talking about me. He's saying, hey, little one, I want to tell you about your poppy and your bunny. <laughs> they, were, they lived their whole life for you. And I can just see that little one looking up to Hunter and saying, Grandpa, how could he live for me when I wasn't even born yet? And Hunter looked down and said, it's because your poppy lived every day pouring his life into me. All he wanted to do is to pour his love into me, his wisdom into me, everything he had he poured into me. And I turned around and I did that for your dad. And now your dad's doing that for you. We owe a lot to Poppy, I can hear him say. <laughs> I can see him bend down like this and saying, we owe a lot to him. Because all he wanted is for every generation of the Wilsons to get bigger and better and stronger. <laughs> Do you have that dream? That every generation of your family would get bigger, better, stronger in God. That every generation of this church would become bigger, better, stronger. Not just because you would be a dad and a mom to your biological kids and a grandparent to your biological grandchildren, but that there would be spiritual fathers and mothers in this place that would rise up. And just like Elijah was to Elisha, you're not related, but you would see a young man and a young lady and you'd come over and say, hey, I'm adopting you into the family spiritually. Into my, I, I want to be a spiritual father to you. Listen, fathering and mothering isn't about an age. It's about a heart. It's an attitude. 
It says, I love you and I believe in you and I want to help you with no strings attached. I wonder what it would be like if this whole church would be filled with spiritual fathers and mothers who dream about the next generation of this church becoming bigger, better, and stronger, and you care way more about that than what you want for you. How powerful would that be? Just asking you, would you just give your life as a spiritual inheritance so that every generation of this church and of this people and of your family would become bigger and better and stronger? If that's what you want, let me just pray for you now and you just receive it. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and just posture yourself to receive this prayer? God, I pray for every person who's listening to this message. I pray you bless them right now. I pray that they would say yes to the calling you have on their life. To not just be faithful in their day, but to be faithful to raise up the next generation of sons and daughters. To not just live for their moment, for their desires, for what they want, for what they're comfortable with. But to live every day, to leave a legacy, to raise up the next generation who will raise up the next generation. That they will raise up men and women of God who all they want is your will and your way and your purpose. And Lord, they would teach them, they would pour their love into them. They would pour every bit of wisdom they have into them. Let it happen, God, I pray.